up guys dylan here welcome to season two episode 10 the final episode of the season for the offset podcast today aaron and i will be talking with our friend scott mckay a certified athletic trainer working with u.s olympic track and field now we'll be taking a deep dive into what he's been doing how he got started off on his current career path and much more so without further ado let's count it off one What's going on, Scott? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like I should redo that one because I was like already in now. It's too late now. We're already it's in. It's casual. It. All right. <laughs> How's it going, man? Good, man. Thanks for coming up to visit us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm stoked. Wait, to but be before here. we continue, sorry, Scott, for interrupting. Who is Scott? Who is Scott McKay? Who am I? If you do a quick Google search, you may find a young Scott McKay. Oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, go ahead and give our listeners a, a quick introduction of uh, who you are and, I guess, your background, and then we can kind of play off that. Cool. Okay. Um, my name is Scott McKay. I am a certified athletic trainer. I currently work with USA Track and Field at the Chula Vista Olympic Training Center in San Diego. I'm from Inland Empire in Southern California, born and raised. Went to school at the University of Laverne and got my undergrad in athletic training. Loved it there, really enjoyed my time, and uh, from there went and worked one year up at Humboldt State University as a certified athletic training intern. Um, I worked with women's soccer and women's basketball, and then I went out to New Mexico State and did my grad assistant position there um, for almost two full years, and then graduated in May, and um, I've been with USA Track and Field since March. So yeah, living down in San Diego, love what I do and yeah that's super exciting man so scott and i are both athletic trainers you know we live breathe eat sports medicine day and night <laughs> um you know and that's that's no joke right yeah <laughs> um i guess for most of our listeners some of them may be unfamiliar with the field of athletic training and you know if they've been listening to me long enough they're probably tired of my hoorah so if you could describe <laughs> athletic training and what it's meant to you over the years, mm -hmm. how, how your perspective it, of it has evolved, um, what do you think that would be like? Hmm. I mean, to me, like how I describe athletic training to other people is I tell them I work in sports medicine because um, a lot of people go straight to personal training. Oh, it's so like you train athletes, which is understandable. Um, but I kind of, so I, I kind of jump to, oh, I work in sports medicine um, just cause it's kind of easier and people understand it more. Um, and if like people ask what I do, I tell them, um, I do everything from evaluation of injuries to hands-on treatment and might be mo modalities. Um, and a lot of rehab is a lot of what I do and emergency care. Um, we're typically first responders if we're on field or on site. So we do everything from spinal injury stabilization, activating EMS, first aid, CPR, emergency care, um, to working on tight hamstrings, you know, soft tissue, massage, uh, manual therapies, and into active care like mobility, stretching, a lot of rehab, um, strengthening, etc. Um, and just trying to make athletes better, more healthy, and um, able to perform at a higher level. So that's kind of my philosophy on what I do. 
then a little bit of a little bit of everything in this career, which is nice. So there's a lot to lot to explain, but yeah, it's pretty much it in a nutshell, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I you know it's a very unique field to get into. Um, you know, I initially didn't know about it until you know I met up with my high school athletic trainer. So shouts to Nelson Chen if he's if he's mm, listening. Nice. And uh, yeah, you know before. It would always be like, are you going to go into the kinesiology and then will that lead to physical therapy? So what was your kind of route into finding athletic training? Yeah. Uh, so it kind of went back to when I was a kid. Um, I had Perthes disease, which is a avascular necrosis of the femoral head. So for normal people, it, you start to lose blood flow to the head of your femur, your thigh bone, and that bone starts to die. And so in order, like the treatment for that for me was I was in a brace for two years, um, which was... Wow, how old were you again? Uh, I want to say it was eight to 10. Wow. Um, and so it was, the brace sucked. It was this like big metal belt kind of a thing. And then with two offshooting like plastic cuffs that I kind of strapped my thighs into. And then there was a big metal bar in between those. So it kept my legs abducted at all times. Um, which I guess was the position that you need to reopen that blood flow um, so that blood could get back to the head of the femur and, and start the healing process. So um, I, first they told me I was going to be in it for about a year and then it kind of stretched on and on as like we revisited x-rays and kind of saw how the bone was healing. So that was part of that. I went to physical therapy and I got treated by a physical therapist, um, not super often, but um, when I did go, he made a pretty big impact on me. Um, just kind of really like lifted my spirits and like the, how he handled working with me. I mean, I was a kid. And so obviously like patient and clinician interaction from a 50 year old or like 45 year old man to an eight year old kid, he did a really good job um, and just kind of had a really big positive impact on me. So then when I was in high school, um, I was kind of looking back, it was senior year and I was like, shoot, what do I want to do in college? You kind of have to decide. Um, and so I was just kind of looking back at things that through my lifetime that meant a lot to me or like people that made a big impact. And I thought of him. Um, and so I thought to myself, like, I, that's something that I want to do for others is to make an impact like that on other people's lives the way that he did on mine. Um, and so going into college, um, I talked to an advisor trying to get it thinking about going into physical therapy. The advisor told me, well, you could either get your degree in biology. And I was like, <laughs> No, thank you. That sounds terrible. Everyone gets a degree in biology. <laughs> yeah, <it sounds laughs> Sorry to all those biology majors out there. I know. So I, I knew I did not want to do that. Like I like science, but like I, not only science, you know. Right. So and then and then they also recommended kinesiology or athletic training, um, which is and they described it as being very similar to physical therapy. You get a lot of the hands-on and evaluation skills, et cetera, and then that transfers over really well. Um, I would just have to like take other prereqs while I'm doing it. And so that sounded a lot more enjoyable. Um, so I got into that. But then the more I explored athletic training in the undergrad program, and then the more I observed physical therapy in observations and things, um, I realized that I, I was a lot more attracted to the athlete population, which I knew from the get go. But I figured physical therapy, I wanted to get into working with athletes in physical therapy. Uh, but it's a little bit more difficult to really kind of niche yourself into that. Um, and, and so I knew with athletic training, like that's 95% of our jobs is working with athletes. So the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it, the more I learned, the more I enjoyed it. And so I, I decided to stick with it. And yeah, so that's how I got into it. And I've loved it ever since. So That's dope. Like I can tell already how just from hearing your story, like 
first of all, you're pretty highly reflective because, you know, who at the end of high school is just like already thinking like, Man, what am I doing at what, the end of high school? What am I doing at the end of high school? You know, there, most people are like, I get to go to college and do whatever I want, mm-hmm. you know, figure <laughs> things out. And you're like, what do I really want to buckle down and master in life? <laughs> so I think that's highly reflective of your, yeah, I guess. your character and personality. Never about that. Yeah. <laughs> Was there anything in particular during like your experience trying to become an AT that kind of really clicked and made you realize this is where I want to be right now? Hmm. Any moment like that, anything someone said, any person you met? One of the first things, it was my second semester in the program. So I was a junior in college and I was assigned to the women's volleyball team at Laverne. And I was the only student. So it was just me and and the full-time Josh, um, who he's awesome. I love that guy. But it was really nice to be like the student that was helping with the team and then to kind of build relationships with the athletes, um, be able to joke around in the clinic kind of have them be like oh sorry Josh like I want Scott to tape my ankles and like I was like "Ooh, yeah like (laughs) you know that's cool to just kind of first name basis mm -hmm, take some pride in the fact that your athletes are like choosing you um and and just to build begin to build those relationships with the athletes so they know like oh I'm going to Scott to go to rehab or I'm going to Scott to go get this that was when I was like okay this is really sweet um and I knew I, I I really loved volleyball too just as a sport I enjoyed it and so the fact that like the team was pretty small, there's probably like 20, 20 athletes or so. Um, it's not like football where there's a hundred plus or something where it's a little bit more difficult to build those relationships. So right. I think volleyball really, it was like, it's a really good fit for me then. Um, and I think from that like relationship aspect of things, that's like really triggered me to continue on in this. Um, and then from there, I, was able to learn from other professionals that were doing really high level work. Um, I had an internship at USA Volleyball in between junior and senior year. And so going there was really eye opening to kind of see what world class practitioners were doing um, and everything that that included. And that was really what set me in motion, like made me really hungry. Because since then, I mean, it's, there's nothing like being surrounded by really smart people to make you realize how little you know right. <laughs> in the best way. And so going there was like, oh, okay, there's so much more to learn. There's so much more to this job than I thought there was. And then I was just, I was hungry. I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to use more. I wanted to get my hands on more athletes. And so ever since then, that was like really what set me in motion. Yeah, I kind of forget the question, but I think. Oh, good. It it was answered in the greatest way. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it, it seems that you really want to get your experience in early on and I'm sure there's a lot of other athletic training students, you know, possibly listening to this podcast or on the same route where you where they want to elevate their craft, they want to improve themselves. And you were able to land uh, an internship with USA Volleyball, so a very professional level, a high level athlete. What did that process look like for you to even get in the door? And once you were in the door, where did you feel like your your deficits were and how, how did you kind of meet that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting. We had a, a professor who I think you might know, Trisha Katsumatsu. Whoop, whoop. Uh-huh. Um, so she came to Laverne for one year. She came and taught and we thought she might have stuck around. Um, but she came in and she had done a summer. Uh, every year, USA Volleyball hires on a summer full-time athletic trainer to help in the clinic when the men's and women's teams travel. Um, and so I think at one point she had done that. So she knew 
um, the athletic trainers at USA Volleyball and knew they had an internship. And so she told myself and I think a couple of other of my classmates about it. Um, I think I was the only one that applied from my school. I mean, I don't think my resume was very impressive. I mean, as a junior in college with a couple clinical rotations, nobody's resume looks great. And so I think her recommendation helped a lot. That was right around the time when I made the decision to switch paths from PT to AT um, because I was talking to a couple mentors and just kind of really evaluating what I wanted to do. And I was at the point where I wanted to apply for this internship because I knew it was going to be an incredible opportunity, but I didn't want to take that opportunity from an athletic training student if I wasn't going to go into athletic training. I thought that would have been selfish of me. Um, and so I decided then I was like, okay, I'm applying for this position and I am doing athletic training. And like I committed to just like diving into AT. And then once I started the internship, I was like, okay, made the right decision. Like this is dope. Because <laughs> once you, like for me again, like it was really eye-opening to see what ATs are capable of that I hadn't been exposed to before. Um, there was a lot that like nobody had told me. And seeing the athletic trainers there are awesome. Aaron Brock and Joe Wasmeck. Um, incredible. And then Misao Tanioka was there summer full-time. All just incredible practitioners. And just to see them work, how they work, the techniques they were using, how they were going about things, their, just the way their minds worked. Like To me, it was so foreign because I just didn't know what I didn't know, you know? And so it was a lot of new information. And I was just like trying to drink out of a fire hose, you know? Like I could only absorb so much, but it was the experience to witness what was available for me to learn and to do and, and to improve on was like career changing. I, I guarantee I wouldn't be here or where I'm at now if I hadn't gone there and learned what our profession was capable of. So it was pretty incredible. All right, the best way to learn, right? Mm -hmm. Surround yourself with the smartest people in the classroom. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's really inspiring to hear. Like, you know, I, I can reflect on a similar experience. I guess it was the same, same time you went to USA Volleyball where um, I also got into a performing arts internship between my junior and senior year out in North Carolina. And to be able to surround yourself with not only like ex very skilled and experienced practitioners, but just in a different setting that, you know, you don't normally get in a traditional like clinical rotation that school sets up for you. So to provide some context, you know, majority of athletic training clinical rotations, you know, you, they kind of do it in categories. You're, you get a little bit of high school experience, you're working at a, a college level, and maybe an outpatient ortho clinic um, with some general medical rotations sprinkled mm -hmm. into there, exactly. right? Um, so to see other models of high performance care uh, being delivered, you know, I think a lot of uh, younger athletic training students that don't put themselves out there or don't know that these opportunities or resources exist mm -hmm. really do themselves a, a disservice to experience what AT has to offer, right? Absolutely, yeah. Do you guys <clears throat> think there's a better, I guess, atmosphere or environment to help promote these opportunities outside of, because I'm guessing a lot of the experiences that you guys have been through are always outside the university to a certain degree, right? Do the universities help promote those opportunities or do you just gotta be lucky and happen to know this guy who knows another guy who has this connection <laughs> to this thing, right? Yeah, I think it depends. Um, okay. The thing is that every athletic training program is, is very different. I think a lot of programs do a good job of encouraging their students to go in and find 
things in the summer and do things and internships and get experience outside of just the clinical rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I got really lucky um, because Trisha came around and encouraged me to do that. Um, if she hadn't been there, I don't know that I would have received that encouragement um, or I, I don't know that many of my other classmates had much encouragement to go and do these extra things. And so I think it, it really just depends. Um, and it's a shame too, because I think it's our responsibility to encourage the next generation um, right. to really take those chances and take those opportunities um, to better themselves, to learn more, to gain more experience, to boost their resume, et cetera. And I think that that's what makes the difference because I think part of it is just ignorance on the behalf of the students. Like you just don't know what's out there and what's available until you've been told about it or until you've put in the effort yourself to go research it. Right. Um, and so like myself, I didn't ever go out of the way to learn about it. I, I never thought to myself, Ooh, I wonder if there's an internship I could do. Cause I wasn't super serious about it and I was kind of aimed towards PT. Um, but then w- when someone else told me about it is when I like, I, that was the learning curve is like, Oh, there are other things I can be doing cool okay sweet and so that's what pushed me me out yeah so i think it just depends um i think for those athletic training students that are listening to this if you're not getting that push from other people but it's something that you want like do it yourself start researching start looking into it like honestly you could probably google athletic training internships and find plenty and like there are student internships there are certified internships like there's there's things for you to be doing and if if it's something you're interested in and no one's telling you about it, then you kind of got to do it yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with, with Scott on that too, where, you know, it, like many other healthcare professions, it is very network and people connected heavy. Um, it's kind of like who you know, who can recommend you, who recognizes your potential and all that stuff. And uh, similar to your story, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, I think she, she was my clinical instructor at the time, uh, Sarah Nottingham. If she wasn't willing to put the extra effort to like tell me to go look this up and do this, then I would have never gotten my uh, internship program with Disney started, you know. And like you said, it, I feel like we don't really give credit enough to athletic training education and athletic training educators who are in the field practicing in a different way. Because when you think of traditional athletic training, you're thinking of the athletic trainer who's working on the sideline of games, um, providing treatment and care uh, to their student athletes and whatever organization. But, you know, they're in the grind. They're in the trenches, like working day in and day out. And then you have like the, another subset of ATs that are trying to, you know, nurture and teach and educate the next generation that is supposed to uh, move the needle forward as far as where the profession goes in terms of best practices and how they can uh, raise the awareness of the profession itself up. So there's an interesting dynamic that kind of goes on between the two. But, you know, just kind of backtrack ourselves, at least. In your experience, Scott, you know, you've already mentioned some. What are some of the biggest mentors that you've had in the career so far and what are some of the, the lessons that they've taught you? You know, for some, like you said, if they aren't able to get an internship or unable to 
be around a group of people like yourself, uh, mm-hmm. how can you spread that knowledge and wisdom to them? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had, a, I've had a good number of people that I would consider to be mentors. Um, I think, uh, first of all, all of the athletic trainers and, and, my edu- and my teachers, professors in college were awesome. Um, they did an incredible job um, teaching and kind of initiating that spark into the profession. And so I think there's always that, um, it might be more of like an unspoken mentorship where it's just maybe it's subconscious and it's, it's happening, but you don't even notice. Um, and just how they encourage you, whether it's in class or in your clinical rotations, just taking responsibility, working. Um, so Josh Davis, Joanna Engel, Keith Savage, all certified athletic trainers at Laverne. Um, I worked with all three of them at some point and they all taught me a lot, um, in, in different, different ways, whether it's responsibility, like taking responsibility in certain ways or another. Um, so each of them played a really big role in where I'm at. And then my clinical director <clears throat> or program director was, uh, Paul Alvarez. And just like, we, like I mentioned at lunch, like he very much had a, a, a very fatherly figure, um, a role with a lot of us students. And so it, it was always nice to have him to, um, he was my academic advisor, so I went to see him talk about classes. He encouraged me about applying to jobs, asking if I needed rec- letters of rec, things like that. Like he was always there, always interested in helping me in whatever way he could. Um, so all four of them played a really big role while I was in college. Um, and then one of my biggest mentors, and still is, is uh, Bill Ito. He's a athletic trainer at Mount Sac in Southern California, which is a community college. I, I did my last rotation with him uh my senior year and him and i just like got along really well he's incredibly smart he was working usa track and field things as a volunteer on the side he was slated to go to rio that summer with usa track and field and so he he's just a track nerd like myself and that's who where i got the bug from and so that whole semester him and i were chatting talking i'd be picking his brain and like constantly just having my mind blown by different things that he was doing and and working on and um, just really opened up my mind to more about concepts of manual therapy, performance therapy, not just treating an injury, but treating to increase performance and then to make our athletes better. Um, And so he played a really big role and still does. I mean, I, I text him pretty regularly about ideas that I have, questions I have. I meet up with him whenever I'm home and try and grab a beer with him. And, and so um, he's definitely played a really big role in showing me what it, again, what it looks like to work at that level um, and to be working with elite level track athletes and how, what that looks like, what performance therapy looks like. And so he was a really big mentor for me. And again, like, I think a lot of these people have their own things to do. You know, they, they're all working and, and whether or not they are directly going to you and, and trying to encourage you or not, go out of your way to speak to them and ask them for help and ask for that encouragement and see where they can challenge you and push you. Just because someone, I don't know, just, I, think, I think it's important just to, to dive into um, building up your circle, kind of like what we talked about, surrounding yourself with talented people, right. um, asking questions bugging the crap out of them like I'm, I'm i thought i was a nuisance to bill because i was like hey why are we doing this hey why does this work like what about this hey did you think about this or i was thinking about doing this rehab exercise what do you think like just just picking people's brains and just ask 
questions. That's what I tell everybody is, is, and whether that's trying to find a mentor or it's just trying to learn something, just ask, like, just go talk to people and ask. And that's how you're going to get out there. And that's how you start to build those relationships and mentorships via just communication and spending time with them. And so I think that, that, I mean, I know that played a huge role for me. Um, I've had, again, like the the number of people in my life that have made a big difference. So, um, and really helped me with the trajectory that I'm on. And so I think mentorship is really important. And again, like if it's not just happening, like go make it happen. That's true. I'm, I'm so happy you talked about the role of mentorship and kind of like what that meant for you. And, you know, I think one thing that if I were to add anything on top of that is that to when you ask somebody to become a mentor or whether it's like subconsciously or like official and formally um, that you're looking to invest in a relationship over time rather than just like, let me just ask you a few questions and I'll, I'll never talk to you again. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. So got it be consistent with it and, you know, make sure that, you know, everyone's kind of growing from the process as well. I guess with what you're currently doing now, um, have you felt yourself uh, more as, as a mentor or do you still feel like you're a mentee to, to some other people in, in, in where you're at? Um, I think both. Um, I think I've I've been given opportunity to work with students, like in New Mexico, I always had athletic training students. Um, and so, and I, I love teaching. And I'm not going to claim by any means to be like the smartest guy in the room. Like, I know for a fact that I'm not at most times, especially now in this role. Um, but having understood the value of mentorship in my own life, I want to at least provide what I can and the resources that I do have to others if that opportunity arises, um, because I think like there's so much value in having that person encourage you and teach you and help you learn. And, and so if at any time I can be that for somebody, like that's, I love it. I crave it. It's incredible. Like I would love to get back into teaching at some point, like 10, 15, 20 years down the yeah. road. But I forgot what the question was. <laughs> no, you're good. But, you're um, good. Yeah. I have a follow-up question for you. What is, what's something that you can like teach and nerd out about? Like what's like, if Scott McKay could just teach one topic or one subject, what is just something you, you would just love to go off on? Oh boy. Um, I don't know. I really like lower extremity. Um, I think that's my strong suit. And so like, I would love to teach a lower extremity eval class or... I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll geek out about anything, honestly. <laughs> um, let, me, let me throw in another question then. Uh, I completely forgot about the question. What is that question? What is that question? Oh, yeah. Um, is athletic training a constantly evolving field of study? Absolutely. Yeah. What, 100%. What will make it so? What would you consider like the factors that kind of make it a constantly evolving field of study? Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I mean, right now, sports and athletics are huge. Um, and, and people are always doing research on what can make our athletes perform better, recover better, feel better, get injured less, recover from injury better. Like, research spurs growth out of any profession. But, like, athletic training and sports med, like, research is constantly developing. People are always looking into new things. Um, and types of treatment that were around 10 years ago, nobody's doing anymore because we've found more researchers come out and said, well, I don't know if that's it's really not working that the way that we thought. Yeah. yeah. 
And, and so, which is great because that's how we continue to get better. And we, part of what I'm passionate about is like always learning. Um, and I think being stagnant and not learning is like, there's nothing worse you can do for yourself, for the people under your care, et cetera. Like if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. There's no such thing as sitting still, especially in a profession that's evolving as quick as ours. Um, and so I think it's always going to, it will continue to develop as people continue to do research and, and dig deeper into the little nuances here and there, or if it's a big topic, you know, I mean, it's, there's research happening all over about everything, whether that's tissue repair and injury, or it's how to best rehabilitate an injury, or what are the best biomechanics for this movement, et cetera. Like something is developing and something is changing, which is for me, and I love it. I mean, because that means like there's always something to learn. I mean, it, it's kind of like a double-edged sword because it's like, oh, hey, you thought you knew something? Psych. Nah, go dig deeper. Like, you don't know nothing. Let but me go back to my reading so quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but it's also really encouraging because it's like, yeah. well, I know I can always learn something new. I can always get better. I can always provide my athletes something more um, to help them get better as well. Yeah. And, you know, as much as the way we practice athletic training has continued to evolve. I also believe that the way it's being delivered has also constantly changed and evolved. You know, like if you think about where we were as a profession, like 20 plus years ago, a lot of the opportunities that currently exist, like were not there before, um, like in terms of like women in athletic training, ethnic diversity within athletic training, and just like the kind of, again, context of where you got to practice athletic training you know primarily it did come from like the sports world and realm and you know there was a big kind of huge push recently from like who gets to supervise the practice of athletic training is it more of the athletics model where it's overseen by like a coach and athletic director or now we're kind of talking about medical models like is there is the practice of athletic training supervised from a medical doctor or another healthcare professional things of that nature as well so yeah there's a lot of moving parts and who knows what this will look like another yeah a uh, couple decades from now totally yeah and which again i think is really encouraging to see the development that's already happened in athletic training um i think like the positions that athletic trainers are in across the field of medicine is super diverse and and very just a, like there's so many opportunities like anywhere from being a physician extender i have a buddy that i that was a year under me who's currently doing helping a physician with platelet draws and like wow. PRP injections and things like that. Like something that I would never expect an athletic trainer to be doing, but he's loving it. And he helps do evaluations and works in a clinic, et cetera. And then you, I mean, you have athletic trainers all over in hospitals. Now you have them in corporate settings. You have them in dance and performance, performing arts. You have them in Cirque, you have them at Disneyland. Like, we're everywhere and there's so many opportunities for athletic trainers um, and there's so much room for growth and development. And again, like it's just up to you with how, where you want to take it and, and how you want to develop yourself and your skill set that is going to make you marketable and wherever you want to go. So it's, I think it's a really cool profession. <laughs> I think so too. I know one thing that I wanted to touch on while we were on this episode was, um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners want to know too, uh, how did you get involved with uh, finally working with USA Track and Field because and th there's a story that I saw on your Instagram post about something 
you created a long time ago, your vision board. And I just love that story so much. I want mm-hmm. you to share it on here. Totally. Um, so I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. Ever since I did my internship at USA Volleyball, I remember there was one scrimmage that our women's team played China in, at Cal State San Bernardino. And I got to go help. And I was, I'm a nobody intern. Like, I'm not doing anything. I'm still a student. Like, I'm not even allowed to do much. But I'm sitting there wearing the flag on my arm, like the USA Volleyball logo on my chest, and right behind the bench. And then we stand up to do the, the national anthem. And, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, national anthem. Yeah, okay. I'm not, I think. I'm not tripping. There's a ceremony um, <laughs> somewhere. Some kind of thing. And it was incredible. Like just being there, I like I already have a lot of like a lot of pride in Amer- being an American. Right. Patriotism, patriotism, yep. And and like the, in that moment, I was like, wow. Like had the chills, got like a little emotional, and I was like, this is what I want to do. Like I want to represent our country and help our nation's athletes like perform it the best they can, and this is what I want to do. And so that was junior, in between junior year and senior year. So that was 2015. And ever since then, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it, what sport it was going to be, but I knew I wanted to go to the Olympics and like do that. And so, again, building off of Mount Sac and working with Bill and him doing USA Track and Field, like that just kind of continued that cycle, helped me narrow in where I wanted to do it. And I knew like track and field was the goal. And so then it was last June, it was like June 7th of 2018, 6th or 7th. It was like one of the last days I was in New Mexico before going home for the summer. Um, and I just moved into my new apartment um, and I set everything up and then I was just hanging out with a friend and I had like this little whiteboard calendar that was on my wall at the time and I still haven't erased it. It's uh, and then I like I was just talking about my goals and had been listening a lot to um, like have you ever heard of Mark England? Mark Not. England. Okay. Um, he owns this company called Procabulary, um, and he's very into like the use of language in in and how it affects like your thoughts and beliefs um, and like what words. Yeah, kinda. And so something that like he was talking about that I had heard on a podcast was like write it down, put a date on it, like make it concrete. Don't just leave it vague and open. And so I was sitting there talking to my friend and I was like, I'm going to go to the Olympics. Like it's going to happen. And I was like, you know what? 2028, I'm going I'm to put a date on it. The 2028 Olympics, I will be there. I don't know in what capacity, but I will be there and it's going to happen. And so I like, wrote it down and I was like, that's 10 years. I got 10 years to make this happen. Like done. I got this. And like just setting that in stone was really big. So um that's still like it's in my apartment here in San Diego. Um like it's still right on the wall and and I had that in my apartment like set up and I was like, "All right, that's the goal." Like I wanted something I could see to remind me and like keep me accountable. Um and and so since that happened, uh later that fall a position opened up with USA Beach Volleyball and volleyball is like my second favorite sport to work um, and more so beach than indoor but I mean both are awesome so the position opened and I was like 
I'm not qualified for this at all. <laughs> <laughs> like it even said, it's like minimum of like five years experience or something. And I was like, been certified for like two and a half. I'm screwed. Mm. But I was like, well, put the resume together. So why put the, the cover not? letter. To, yeah, exactly. Why not? Like what? So they tell me no. <laughs> okay, cool. Like, you know how many jobs I've applied to that told me no? Dude, I'm used to it. And so I just did it. I didn't get it. Never heard back. That's fine. But then I had my resume written for that level of a job. And so I felt good with it. And, and then I saw uh, my buddy texted me the link to this job with track and field. And he was like, yo, you might be interested in this. I was like, um, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> Funny you should say that. <laughs> um, You're and, questioning my interest in yeah. this job? <laughs> but uh and then i got an email like showing me it the next day because i'm signed up for like notifications for that um and i was like holy crap holy crap holy crap like i have to do this and so i went and talked to my boss and i was like hey like i gotta apply for this job and he was like and i had told him about the beach one too he was like i mean i'm not gonna like tell you not to but like we're gonna be short-staffed if you leave and i was like i know like <laughs> i'm I, I get it like, I know I'm not putting you in a good situation, but like, I can't not apply for this job. It's, and he was like, it's okay. a dream, man. Yeah. And so like applied for it again. Like I wasn't expecting a whole lot, like high hopes, low expectations. Like that's kind of how I do things is like, I have goals, like I'm doing things with purpose, but like at the same time, I'm not gonna be bummed if nothing happens. Like on to the next day. Exactly. Yeah. Like just keep moving forward. But <laughs> I got an email back <laughs> and and I was like, holy crap, I got an interview. Boom. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is insane. And so I had a, a Skype interview. And then I got an email again. And they were like, hey, we want you to come on site. <laughs> and I was like. And this all happened in a matter of like a couple of weeks, a couple of months. Couple days. Yeah. So I think the application was due January 31st. Mm -hmm. I think I found out about it july january 28th and so i was like okay here we go <laughs> thank god you had that uh resume oh already. yeah yeah exactly so just like made a couple little edits wrote out my cover letter like gave, like sent it to a couple people to review it and i was like what do you got like give me anything anything and everything help me spice this up <laughs> um and just like make sure it's clean make sure it's good and i was pretty confident with my resume like i always have been i think i'm like good at writing them and etc but yeah I don't know where I was going. Oh, yeah. And then it was due the 31st. So it was just right. like, okay, submit. <laughs> and then. Moment of truth. My, so from there, I think I had an interview maybe two weeks later, the phone interview. Okay. And then the on-site was another week and a half after that. Oh, that was a mess. <laughs> we had indoor championships that weekend. Oh, no. I, I got home at 1.30 a.m. And then I left to the airport at 4:30 a.m. That turnaround. Like, took a two and a half hour nap, woke up, took a shower, suited up, and went to the airport. <laughs> and then flew out, flew back the same day. Like flew out, interviewed for like four hours, flew back the same day. Goddamn. And then I think I heard I got the job like a week later. And then I was back out there two weeks after that for my first like real weekend. Mm -hmm. And then worked like a weekend workshop thing flew back home had a week to pack up and then drove back out so life moves crazy. fast man <laughs> right. like a matter of one month yeah to get everything together yeah right yeah like I, 
sent in the application January 31st. My first day on the job was March 25th or my first like full, like I was moved and at work on March 25th. So it was pretty quick. Damn. Yeah. I'm so happy you kind of shared that story because I feel like for most people, they get a pretty high profile job. They're like, I got to make sure I get my, you know, good eight hours sleep, strong breakfast, go over my interview questions, block off enough time to to prepare, you know, Mm -hmm. all that. And you were just like, no sleep, man. I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give it my best shot, my best go. And life keeps moving forward. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's super cool. Um, You've already touched on this a little bit with the whole uh, (laughs) three-hour turnaround for that job. (laughs) Um, A lot of, I feel like a lot of people know that working in uh, the pros so to speak, or very highly experienced athlete competitive settings, it is very time demanding, it is very uh, consuming in, in terms of like where your, where your life and your, and your resources go. Uh, so what were some personal sacrifices that you've had to take now that you've already been through a, a solid amount of being on the job and even just in athletic training in general to even do a graduate assistantship because mm-hmm. I mean, we all know that's a grind too. Yeah. Part of, part of it, it was, was, for me, was moving away from family. I have three siblings. They're all married. I have three, two nephews and one niece. And so um, it was definitely difficult to leave the family behind. But I knew in order to like, achieve what I wanted to achieve, I was going to have to move. And the level of job that I wanted, like there's not very many around Southern California. And so I, w- I knew I was going to have to go. And I was open to anything. I applied to jobs everywhere, all over the states. So um, Michigan to Florida to California to Washington, like all four corners, I applied everywhere. So um, I, I knew it was going to demand being away from family. Um, so that, that's been a big one for me and very grateful to be back in Southern California now. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's with this job now, I'm on the road quite a bit. Um, I think I spent about st- from March to September. September spent about two months on the road at least so it was so I mean there's time away from family again um, from my apartment from home you know just routine Um, I I I wouldn't change it for the world Um, I love it but I know not everybody does but it's it's definitely something that starts to weigh on you and like again totally cool with it right now no complaints whatsoever this is what I asked for and so I love it but it's definitely a sacrifice um, being away from friends and family for so long is a sacrifice. Yeah. Like, I think that like, for me, that's the biggest thing I am currently working on, like just being better at time management. And so I think that's a really big thing is that if, depending on what level you want to work at and how much you want to continually learn, et cetera, like how much you're improving, just different things like that is that it's going to take time. Um, it's going to, you're going to need to invest yourself in it. Things just don't, happen you know like you have to put in the effort um, and so for me that's something that I like I'm still in a pretty big like struggle with um, is just how much I'm investing into my craft how much I'm investing into getting better um, improving and focusing on the like really important things um, it means that you have to put aside some of the less meaningful but maybe very enjoyable things of life um, like I like social media. Like I spend too much time on social media. Like that's something I need to get off of. Like 
And so like that's something. Everyone needs to get off of social media sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and I tell myself there's a balance, but I mean, it just little things like that is like, okay, Scott, you can't go to the beach every day. Like you have things to do. Like you should be doing stuff. Like you can't sit on your phone after you get out off of work or something. Like you can't just sit and watch Netflix. Like do something productive because I think I'm not good enough. Mm. I mean, I, I think I'm good enough, but I know I, I need to slash should slash like people deserve for me to be better Mm. like the people that i'm taking care of deserve better from me i think there's always more that i need to be doing to make myself better for my athletes and so i think that's a big role like some big shoes that i feel the need to fill Um, it's not just your shoes anymore it's everyone else that's under your umbrella right yeah and yeah and and i'm okay with that like me personally like again like something that I've been realizing recently is like, this is what I asked for. Yeah. You go into like, it with a very realistic expectation yeah. and not like, not like you don't know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And like we mentioned at lunch, like the people, my coworkers, and I think like to, to work at this level, you have to know what you're getting into. And I definitely did, but it's, it's definitely, it's an adjustment for sure. I mean, going from where I was to here, it was a big jump in, in responsibility in duties in like just level of, what's going on and how the people in my group are pushing me and et cetera. Um, and so it's been a, it's been a big adjustment. And so that's something that I'm trying to um, work on is just how to better manage my time, which might include giving up things that I might enjoy doing so that I can continue to progress at work and in my job. So, right. Yeah. I definitely, you know, can, can empathize with you on that a lot, you know, being on your a game, having that type of pressure to to do well to serve others can definitely be you know it's again you like you you go into it knowing that this is the job this is what you've asked for but then you also go into it knowing that this is a burden um or a weight that you have to carry um and sometimes that that weight can be a great motivator but sometimes it can be uh something that is really heavy for us to hold on to and 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 challenge ourselves with i know personally for me um i'm curious to to hear your answer on this as well Uh, where has your health maintenance and health management with yourself come into the picture because we constantly work with high level athletes that want to be at their best want to perform at their best but then we also know that we have to practice what we preach as well so how do you how do you maintain that for yourself Mm -hmm. um for me Something that I realized, like once I started at New Mexico State, my fitness like really fell off because like the jump from my first job to New Mexico was was big as well in in just demand, um, number of athletes, level of expectations. What's a rough number of uh, athletes that you ended up having under your care when you mm-hmm. went to New Mexico? Uh, I had sixty five total. Um, between cross and track and field so i had men's and women's cross country and just women's track and field because we didn't have a men's program Um, but i had about probably averaged around 65 athletes both years between myself and a couple students like so it was it was a lot um i was like always on the floor pretty much um and so it was it was i mean it was a great learning experience um again like the athletes were awesome it demanded a lot of me which is how i grow and so it was, it, was a, it was a great spot for me to be at. Um, I got back to track and field, which I loved. And so it was, it was good to, to kind of get that rolling and kind of have that demand. It definitely was a lot. When I was at Humboldt, I had 
20 soccer athletes, 15 basketball athletes, but they overlap. So one wasn't training when the other was, or they overlapped a little bit and then soccer had off season. So it's never like I had more than 20 athletes at a time. And so going from, and even there I was learning time management, like going from (laughs) Mount Sac where there were six of us senior students and a full-time working with a track and field team. We each had like maybe five athletes a day, you know, and then helping out with other stuff. But going from that to 20 soccer athletes and it was just like, okay, Scott, learn how to learn how to manage your time. And then going from that to track and field was the same thing. So it's always been, I've had a good like set of challenges to kind of push me there. I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> uh, it was a complicated question. I, yeah, uh, <laughs> I get sidetracked. Have you uh, managed your own? Oh, yes, exactly. So when I went to New Mexico, totally stopped working out, like no fitness for like a good year. Like it was pretty bad. And I definitely started to notice it kind of wear down on me. Um, And then even like that summer, I worked out a bit with my brother. Um, And then when I went back to school, kind of same thing happened. Like you kind of just I felt like I just kind of got slapped with responsibility. And it was like, okay, I don't feel like doing anything after work or before work. So I that was something too that I had to learn. And so then last, it was about a year ago, last December is when I realized like, it's not just about taking care of yourself. It's about like doing it in a way that you enjoy. Um, and so for me, like, like fitness for me is, is a large part of taking care of my health, you know? And so I used to do more like just bodybuilding, lifting stuff, maybe like a, go running every once in a while, but I didn't, I just kind of lost the joy in both of those. And so that's where I found like steel mace. And now I'm, I do a lot of cycling cause I really enjoy it. And it's something that I'm eager to go do rather than it's, it's no longer a chore for me to work out. And so I think that's, that's important for myself is to find something that I find joy in doing so that it, I can like go out and do it. And uh, like I said, be eager and enjoy it while I'm doing it. And then once I'm done, I'm satisfied with myself with like how I feel physically um and then so that's that's a big part of my self-care and then like I go I try and go to the beach once or twice a week like finding time to work and then finding time to not work um and so again going back to like time management is that's something I'm still working on like I realize there are demands that I need to that I need to meet making sure that I can meet those demands and and fill those needs but then also then supplement with times of just like not worrying about it turning my brain off not focusing on it just kind of like allowing myself to zone out listen to music go on a long bike ride like get in the zone and then get back to it when i'm done so yeah all super necessary totally all right scott i that's thank you again for like sharing all that yeah like we we really got to some deep dives and some good topics here cool so as a way to kind of wrap up our episode we're gonna do a quick fire round with you okay so i hope you're ready for this oh boy um we'll, we'll start we'll start it's pretty simple how uh, quick are we talking <laughs> well whatever concise however concise okay. you can get to it uh so the first one do you have a morning routine mm, right now it's coffee mm-hmm. coffee's a must french press Ooh, that's good. Press. I'm gonna. I, I plan on upgrading to Chemex in like the next six months, but like you got to budget those things. But coffee's a must, and then I try and either work out or 
Um, and so recently that's been going on a bike ride or um, like try and read some research or just kind of get my brain going, whether it's like if I have a rehabs to write or like stuff I want to read, do that in the morning. So no, there's no routine. It's kind of hit or miss. <laughs> cool. Cool. As long as I'm awake the next day. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> coffee, coffee's that's there that's though. That's, that's always there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, number two, what are you currently reading and or studying? Hmm. A little bit of everything. I'm not in a book right now. This summer I was reading, um, I read Atomic Habits by James Clear. James Clear, yeah. Highly recommended. Uh, I started reading Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. um, but that was when I was in Europe and had time on my hands, and so when I got back, it stopped. Um, no and, longer effective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so now, now it's mostly just research stuff, um, anything in it, everything that I'm interested in in the moment or that is relevant to what's going on at work so um some of that is um thoracolumbar fascia research or maybe it's post-concussive parasympathetic kind of related things like nervous system things or the like i did a lot of research on the effects of breathing in my master's degree this last spring Mm. and so uh, a lot of different stuff in research um People will send me articles or I'll just dig through and like I just have a Google doc or a Google thing open on my laptop with just like a billion tabs of different yeah. articles that I've downloaded. So um, a little bit of everything. Awesome. Uh, what is your current or favorite exercise to do with the mace? Uh, with the mace. Oh, we're going honest, specific for this one. Yeah, okay. I was going to say, I, <laughs> honestly, I haven't done much with the mace. I've probably had like five workouts in the past three months. Cause I got my bike in the end of September. So mm. biking is my go-to right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you go for like long rides or are you kind of like a sprint and ride? I'm, I'm trying to kind of mix it up and keep my training diverse. So I try and do Smart. like recovery rides. I try and do like sprint rides. I try and do long or like climbing based rides or I'll go and do like something long on the weekends. So yeah, it depends. That's dope. Yeah. Anything you're looking forward to in life right now, whether it be career wise, recreationally, um, stuff yeah i mean i'm i'm really looking forward to what this next year has to offer um it's going to be a busy one and excited to continue to see the world through my job which i'm incredibly thankful for and see what happens for tokyo 2020 so um Ooh. a lot of work stuff um that i'm looking forward to yeah. just continuing to develop and learn and, and improve at work and through travel and working with athletes so i'm pretty excited about that that's awesome, man. Since you're talking about traveling, uh, do you have a pro travel tip? Oh, boy. What tip has um, helped you the most, maybe? I think the, a big one is like sleep um, when you're traveling. Um, on the plane, on the boat? All the above. I haven't been <laughs> on many boats, um, but trying to sync up with the time zone that you're going to, either while you're on the plane or when you land and trying to like either stay awake until the evening or if you know you're going to land at a weird time, like maybe get a nap in because you're landing in the morning. And so you have to stay awake all day to get mm-hmm. to the evening because I've, I've had both ways. Um, one Europe trip, I happened to get in at a good time, happened to get tired at nighttime in Belgium. Cool. Like woke up the next day, it was chilling. The next time I landed at like 8.30 a.m., but it was an overnight flight. And so, and it's like a 10 hour flight. So you get super confused. Right. Um, and so I, I told myself like, just stay awake until, until nighttime, but like could not make it. 
Uh, and so I took like a three hour nap in the middle of the day and I was screwed the next or that night. Mm. So try and like either force yourself to stay awake until that evening or like game plan as to like when a good healthy nap time is going to be so that you can like make it or just so you reset onto wherever you're headed time rather than like staying on America time. Definitely a pro travel tip. All right, brother. How can our audience find you? Um, Instagram is probably the best. Um, it's at smack underscore ATC smack stand S McKay. So it's, it's oh, not I like I'm that. just slapping people like <laughs> <laughs> um, smack McKay. Yeah. So that's that's cool. If you like photography and, and don't care if I never post, you can go follow my old photography page at smack visuals. Ooh. That one's cool. But yeah, I don't really post much. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I have a podcast, but I don't post anything there either. So it's on Spotify though. There's like six episodes. They're kind of cool. Plug the podcast. That's um, true. It's at, or it's the, the smack cast. Smack cast. Yeah, I think that's right. Smack cast. One word or the, is it one word? And then smack cast is mm. one word. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You want to go deep dive into, uh, Scott's life a little bit more. <laughs> But I appreciate everyone uh, tuning in. I appreciate you, Scott, again. So uh, we wish our listeners a happy holidays wherever you're celebrating at. And thanks for tuning in. Cool. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. And until next time, see you all later. Thank you for listening to The Offset Podcast. Remember, we're on all major podcast listening platforms such as Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Anchor, just to list a few. Please don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts as any feedback is greatly appreciated. If you want to contact us directly, we can be reached via our social media at offset.med or feel free to email us at offsetmed at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening and we hope to see y'all in the next episode.